Welcome to Practical Christian Living. An interesting thing about legalism is that when people get legalistic, they use the word I a lot. They say, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't do that. You can do whatever you want to do, but I've learned that I don't do that. They are, they're kind of focused on what they're doing. And you, when you become legalistic, are in a very dangerous place because you're focusing on yourself and you're taking freedoms away from yourself. God loves us. And as a loving God, He knows what is good for us. And we can trust in that. But when we lose that trust and set our eyes on the things of this world thinking we know better, we become vulnerable to be drawn away by our own desires and led into sin. Trust that God wants the very best for you and nothing this world has to offer will ever compare or satisfy like God's goodness. We're in James chapter 1 verses 13 through 18. Please stay with us for Practical Christian Living. Here comes Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. It truly is powerful. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Challenge us, encourage us, give us insight into how we can face temptation and win. We do not want to be those that that give in to temptation or that aren't struggling against it. We want to be those that are victorious over it. We pray that you would give us some insight as we study this passage. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Tonight we're going to talk about temptation. And I thought it would be good if there is anyone here who has completely overcome temptation. You have defeated it in your life. Uh, Anybody? You just are completely victorious over it. Because if so, I'll take off my mic, the pack, I'll give it to you. You can come up and teach. Because I certainly haven't done it. But this passage gives us some of the best insight that you can possibly have in what is happening when you're tempted and how you can fight against that temptation to be victorious. And in the midst of this passage on temptation is right now my favorite verse in the Bible. It's changed over the years, but right now this is my favorite and it's made even more powerful by the context that you find and that is the context of battling against sin. The first thing that our text says there in verse 13 is let no one say when he is tempted. Everyone is tempted. There is no one who isn't. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. So the temptation isn't the sin. It's what follows the temptation that becomes the sin. Jesus never crossed the line from being tempted to the temptation. I think that we cross the line from the temptation to the sin easily. I think we struggle with it and we were familiar with the sin and so we struggle with it. Someone once said that Jesus had to deal with the temptation in a stronger way because at some point we give in to the temptation where he battled it until he was finally victorious over all of it. What we know is that Jesus had the complete experience of being human 
He was tempted in every way that we were and he went to that cross sinless so that he could be the substitute for you and me. Now, temptation is a part of life for us. And when we are tempted, we have a tendency to not take responsibility. In fact, I probably just think that's one of the characteristics of being immature. An immature person doesn't take responsibility for what they do. And when we're tempted, we have a tendency to say, it really wasn't me. Or when we are tempted in sin, it really wasn't me. It was, it, was, it was them or it was because of that or it was you. Remember when Adam and Eve were tempted in sin and ate the apple and God came and they were naked in the garden and they hid from God and God said, why are you hiding? And they said, because we're naked and we, didn't, we hid from you. And he said, well, who told you we're naked? And he said, well, you know, I ate the, we ate the fruit. And then God says, well, how'd you know you were naked? And Adam says, it was the wife you gave me. She was the one who gave me the fruit and I ate. I mean, you think about it, Adam, Adam could have said, look, I didn't even ask for her. I didn't even know women existed. I woke up one day and went to bed married. I woke up one day, didn't know women existed and then went to be, and didn't get to choose. It was a completely arranged marriage by God. God brought Eve to Adam and said, there she is. She's the one for you. And she's the one who said, take this fruit and eat it. I just did and it's awesome. And he took it and he ate it. He didn't take responsibility for it. He instead said, it's her, she did it. Then he said to her, what did you do? And she said, well, the serpent, you know, beguiled me and I ate. So she blamed the serpent that you made. So she blamed the serpent that God had made. Both of them in a way blamed it on God. It's a common thing for people to say, I think God's the reason that I've fallen into sin. Had God done this in my life, I wouldn't have sinned that way. Had God done that, I wouldn't have sinned that way. If things hadn't fallen apart so bad, I would have never have been an alcoholic. I would have never have turned to drugs. I wouldn't have been a lustful person if this would have been different in my life. You have a tendency to blame God for it. Well, it's interesting. The word for temptation in verse 13 is the same root word for the word, tem uh, for the word trials in verse 3. My brother encountered all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, and that same word testing there is the same root word for tempting. In other words, the same trials that God has given you to prove your faith that you would be able to face and handle properly and come out the other side approved by God. And by the way, isn't that a good thing when it happens? When you're tested by God, he gives you a test and you face that test and you come out the other side approved, you go, I think I did good. It was iffy there for a while, but I think I did good. Well, that same trial can cause something inside of you that can lead to sin. The same events that are there to prove your faith can change and you can be tempted by them because the temptation doesn't come from the external, it comes from within you. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor Robert. I'm driving down the road and I see a billboard and it's got a scantily clad girl on it and all of a sudden I'm tempted. That wasn't me, that was that billboard. Not really. The billboard was there before you were ever tempted. When you saw it, something happened inside of you. And it's the thing that happened inside of you that caused the temptation. Not whatever it is that was outside of it. And whatever trial comes in your life can either approve you and it can make you better or it can, can cause a struggle internally in you that ends up causing that sin. The Bible says that God, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You look at that and you think, the Holy Spirit 
and Satan working together? No, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil and be proved. God was using it to do his work so that Jesus could be proven by it. Satan wanted to use it to bring Jesus down. They were working against each other. They were using the same event to work against each other. It wasn't, it wasn't God or the Holy Spirit that was tempting him. He led him into the wilderness to be tempted. So God may lead you somewhere in your life where you now have a test and God wants you to overcome that test so you will be proven. But Satan wants you to give in and fall. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. The end of verse 13, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God's not in the business of tempting. God isn't prompting you somehow inside to tempt you. He may lead you in places where temptation will take place because you inside, which we're going to talk about in a moment, respond in a way that brings about that temptation. He says, instead, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. Couple of things in verse 14. Note the word he is drawn and his own desire. It's you that are drawn away. It's you that are enticed. It's not God enticing you, God drawing you into temptation or sin. It's you being enticed and you being drawn. And then look at the two words at the end of the verse. In fact, if you're keeping notes or highlighting, underline or highlight desire and underline and highlight enticed. And then draw a line by them and write the word feelings your own desires and you are enticed this is the first thing that happens in temptation there are these feelings that arise in you maybe it's a feeling of excitement maybe it's a feeling of excitement over the forbidden maybe it is a lustful feeling a lustful feeling for something or a lustful feeling for someone but it is a feeling that rises up inside of you that causes you to be enticed and I think understanding that gives us a tremendous advantage. If we understand that temptation takes place in my feelings, then when I'm feeling it, it helps me to battle against it. It helps me to know that this, first of all, is going to be a feeling inside of me. It is a desire. It is an, an enticement that I find. Now, remember, temptation isn't sin. It crosses a certain line. So a, a desire may swell up inside of you. You may be enticed, but it hasn't crossed the line for sin. The next thing it says here is in verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The word conceived is the word for conceiving a child. It's literally that sin is conceived inside of you. It is there. And once it is there, it is going to give birth. When you conceive sin, it now is your mind deciding to do it. To look at this process, put the ribbon of your Bible there or an old bulletin or something here in James and turn with me to Genesis chapter three. We have a really good picture here in Genesis of, uh, of an enticement. It, it's the very first one that we find. It's the serpent, Lucifer through the serpent, tempting Eve. We're gonna read verse one. Trying to find something else here real quick, but. All right, so we're gonna read verse one of chapter three. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? So the serpent shows up and says to Eve, has God said you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now here's what God said. God said of all of the trees that are in the garden, you may freely eat. I like the word freely there. God put them in a garden, filled the garden with trees and told them they could freely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of good and evil that's in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat it. For on the day you eat it, you will surely die. Now, Satan shows up and questions God's goodness. Satan shows up and says, has God said you can't eat of any tree in the garden? See, he's subtly saying, maybe not even so subtly, God's holding back on you. God doesn't want to give you what he wants. And that's what happens when we're tempted. We think that there's something that we need that God's not going to give us. And I think that Satan tempts us in that way. He's telling us that God doesn't want the best for us, that God's withholding something from us. Sin is sin because it is destructive, because it is deceptive, and because it leads to death. God didn't go, you know, there are certain things out there that I need to call sin, so I'm going to just choose randomly. That's sin, that's not. That's sin, that's not. That's sin, that's not. Sin is always destructive. Sin is always deceptive. And sin always brings death. There is a result of death in sin. Whether or not it's a sin to smoke, I think we can pretty faithfully say, and that's a matter of opinion, I guess. I've got my own opinion, and you guys could probably guess it, okay? The Bible doesn't say, don't crumple up tobacco leaves, roll them up in paper, light them on fire, and suck them into your lungs. Doesn't strictly forbid it along those lines, all right? But we all know it ain't good for us, right? And so God doesn't want, if God didn't want you to smoke, he doesn't want you to smoke because it's bad for you. That's sin. God doesn't want you to sin because sin is bad for you. God doesn't want you involved in fornication because fornication is bad for you. God doesn't want you having an affair because an affair is bad for you. Whatever that sin is, sin is sin for a reason. And so here, again, it says in Genesis, he makes this not so subtle statement that God's withholding something from her. And then in verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. So she defends God to some degree, but did you notice she left the best word out of all? He had said that we may eat of the tree that is in the garden, but she left the word freely out. God had said, you can freely eat of all the trees in the gardens, garden, and she made God less gracious. Or she made herself entitled to what God had given her rather than realizing that God had given it. And that made her more susceptible to temptation. I believe that if we are thankful for what God gives us, I believe that if we understand God's grace, I believe that if we have that heart of thankfulness, Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways. You've done so much. Thank you for all that you've done, that you are now a step ahead of the game when it comes to facing temptation. When you feel that God has slighted you, when you feel that you are entitled to certain things, then when you're tempted, you're more likely to say, you know what, I deserve this. You know what, I can do, God didn't do that for me, so I'm gonna take this. And so she held back or made God's word less gracious. 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. Now, if you read earlier, he didn't say anything about touching it. The second thing she did was make God's word more grievous. When we become legalistic, an interesting thing about legalism is that when people get legalistic, they use the word I a lot. They say, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't do that. You can do whatever you want to do, but I've learned that I don't do that. They are, they're kind of focused on what they're doing. And you, when you become legalistic, are in a very dangerous place because you're focusing on yourself and you're taking freedoms away from yourself that God's given you. And that's what she's doing. She could touch it all she wants. She could have climbed the tree. She could have swung upside down in the tree if she wanted to. She could have done all of that. What she couldn't do was eat it. Finally, she makes God's word less gracious. Then she makes God's word more severe by being legalistic. And then she changes God's word altogether. She says in verse, the end of verse three, lest we die. The word lest there means might. You might die. If you eat this fruit, you might die. You know, taking a risk here, rolling the dice. What did God say? You will surely die. No, no question about it. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And you notice that Satan quotes God right. You will not surely die and denies God's word completely. That's what Satan wants you to believe is that whatever sin you're being tempted with, whatever area of life your stronghold is in, that God's withholding something from you and that it's really not bad. It's really not going to hurt you. It's really not destructive. Now turn with me back. Well, let's look at how she, she responds to it. Uh, verse five, for God knows that in a day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that he has something, that God's withholding something from you. And then verse six, so when the woman saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And at that point, they both died spiritually. All of a sudden, sin nature was in them. All of this before, their nakedness didn't bother them. But now with their thoughts, with sin nature, suddenly their nakedness bothered them. And they sewed together fig leaves, which is inappropriate. When we try to cover our sin, it's always inappropriate. Only God is the one who can deal with it. Turn back to the book of James. Verse 15. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And once sin has been given birth to, now it is even more difficult to handle. The best time to deal with sin is when we're enticed and when we have desires, when it's in the area of feelings, being able to understand, you know what, God's got the best for me. If God doesn't want me involved in this because it's gonna hurt me, this is not good for me. But then when your will gets involved, it becomes very difficult. Once you've decided I'm going to do this sin, Years ago, we had a young guy here that was on staff with us and he'd gotten involved with a girl that he knew he shouldn't be involved with. There were some problems that arose and um, I was talking about roadblocks. That when, sometimes when we determine that we're gonna sin or that we decide, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and do this sin, God will throw up roadblocks. Do you ever had that happen to you? Where all of a sudden, you know God's saying, don't do this. And you go around that roadblock, and God puts up another roadblock, don't do this once your will is engaged you can often go around those roadblocks 
Years later, he said, I was there that night you were teaching about roadblocks and God spoke to me clearly that if I do this, I'm walking away from him. And he said, I deliberately, he said to my shame, I deliberately chose to do it. I chose her over God when I knew that God had put up a roadblock. Once you get your will involved, it is very difficult to get things to stop. It's not impossible, but sin has been conceived at that point. And it really takes God shaking you to be able to get you to get out of it. Or it takes you being shaken. Like maybe you've determined to do something now and you come to church and there's a whole teaching on temptation. (laughs) And it's like a giant roadblock that God has thrown up. And God is saying to you, stop because this is destructive. What does it go on to say here? It goes on to say in verse 15, but when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Sin always brings death. It might not be, it could be your death, right? You might sin and from that end up dying, but it also could be the death of maybe the relationship you have with your children. You have an affair? Your children will never talk to you again because of what you did to their mom. Maybe the death of your relationship with your wife. Maybe it's another area. Maybe your job suffers and there's a death of a job. Sin always brings death. And God says, I want to spare you that. I want to spare you that before you get involved in that. You have these desires and these enticements. And then when it's conceived and is born, it brings forth death. That's the ultimate result. And God would have you stop before that. Sin is sin because it's destructive. But not only is sin destructive and bring forth death, but sin is deceptive. Sin, verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Sin is so easily, it is so easily deceives us. You so easily justify why it's okay for you to be involved in it and not okay for someone else to be involved in it. I, I think of David after sinning with Bathsheba. He had 300 wives and concubines and he looks out over his porch and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath and he invites her over, right? And then he covers it up and then Nathan knocks on the door. And Nathan says, David, there's a guy down the road and he has a whole bunch of goats. He had some friends come over and he went next door and he took his neighbor's pet goat. This guy only had one goat. He took his pet goat and he killed it. And he fed it to some friends that he had over. What what, what should we do with this guy? And David became enraged and said, that man will surely die. Nathan said, you are that man. His sin on someone else looked awful. He had justified it to himself. If you're involved in a sin, if you've got some sin harbored in your life, chances are you have been deceived by it. You think that that sin has something good for you. You think that that sin has something that you need and you think God's keeping it from you. And so that's why you have to have it. So that's why you harbor the sin. That's why you keep it around or that's why you don't battle it. You as a Christian need to battle against sin. You need to fight against it. You need to be desiring to get those things out of your life so that there can be purity and holiness that can be given to God. But if you're just settled into those, whatever that sin is, it's because you think that that sin has something for you. And that's deception. That sin has nothing for you. Nothing but destruction, nothing but pain, nothing but hardships. But here's the, here's the question. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe that what he says, that it brings forth death? 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.